Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. The Metropolitan Man by Alexander Wales Read by Eniash Brodsky Chapter 13 Finale Part 2 Dear Lois, I've been a long-time reader of your articles, and I have to say that I'm quite the fan. I've been happy to note from the first few photographs I've seen of you that we seem to share a similar taste in fashion, and I just wanted to share a tip with you. There's a jewelry store up on 18th and 22nd called Markshausen's, and they have just the most fantastic pieces that would perfectly complement your outfits. Their necklaces are so delicate and understated, just the thing for a woman like you. I don't know if you have a special man in your life, but if you do, I'm sure he'd love to see you in it. And if you don't, I'm sure that it would help attract one. Your loyal fan, Lucille Lint. Lois got a number of letters from the citizens of Metropolis on any given day. Lex had arranged for this to also be a private channel of communication. The opening sentence was one she'd memorized, and if that weren't enough, the initials at the bottom were LL, initials that she and Lex shared. His idea of a joke, she supposed. She went down to Markshausen's over her lunch break, not really knowing what to expect. She'd kept her distance from Lex ever since she and Clark had hit the reset button on their friendship. If Clark had asked her a direct question, she might have given up her last remaining secret to him but so far he hadn't shown any curiosity. That made her a bit nervous. It was well possible that he'd already made his own deductions on that score, especially if he'd been watching her. He knew that she had a less than glowing opinion of him, and the book she'd written with Luther was damn near a hagiography, with none of the complexity she'd brought to her recent talks with Clark. But he hadn't asked, and she hadn't felt like offering it up on her own. The jewelry store was a small slice of glamour that didn't quite fit with the rest of the block. It wasn't uncommon for the borders of the neighborhoods to shift slightly over the years, and from what Lois could tell, Markshausen's had been the victim of one of these shifts. It was a small, narrow store, staffed by a fetching woman with obscenely blonde hair, who perked up at the sound of the door opening. Lois looked around slowly. There was nothing obvious to mark this as part of some plot. Can I help you? Asked the blonde woman. Lois took a breath and dove right in. My name is Lois Lane, and I'm a reporter for the Daily Planet. My editor keeps asking me to write a woman's piece that's not about equal rights or social issues, and I decided that I'd finally indulge him. So I was thinking that I would write about jewelry. It should help pacify him, I think. Hopefully, Clark wouldn't think that was too suspicious. Lex had only gotten her to the store, and she didn't have the barest outline of a script. Of course, it would mean that she would have to actually write the article on top of her other work. A sudden change came over the woman's face, her eyebrows falling and then rising again, and when she spoke, her voice was slightly higher than before. Oh, oh yes, there's so much I could tell you about. More and more women are buying their own jewelry these days, working women who want to attract a husband. She reached behind the counter. In fact, if you'd be willing to mention Markshausen's in the article, there's a piece I think you might like. It comes with a matching watch for that special man in your life. <laughs> she had a nervous giggle. She set two items down on the counter. One was a small golden locket shaped like an oval. 
The other was a watch, which glowed green behind the clock face. Lois made no move to touch it. Is it radium? What? Radium. It's a metal that glows green, just like that. Twenty years ago, there was a group of factory workers, women, who painted the faces of watches with radium so they'd glow in the dark. They licked the tip of their paintbrushes to get a fine point, and they suffered from radiation poisoning, anemia, and bone fractures, and then their jaws started to fall apart, disintegrating. She had literally written the book on it. I've, uh, been assured that it's safe. So were the girls who worked in the factory. Lois wondered how far she was deviating from what Lex had planned. Obviously, she was intended to walk out of the store with watch and necklace. I'm only curious about what makes it glow. I don't mean to be so adversarial. The locket has a similar component? Oh, yes. The saleswoman seemed grateful to be back on familiar ground. She cracked the locket open and showed a multifaceted gem. All right, I'll take them. Now for this story, I have a few questions. What does it do? Wrote Lois. Lex frowned at the notebook. He had thought that the next course of action would be obvious to her. Give Clark Kent the watch and see what happens. He'd done his best to keep her out of the loop, specifically so that if Superman asked her, she would be able to tell the truth. Superman had to know that there was someone plotting against him by now, especially given the theft of the spaceship and the death of his mother, but it was important that it appear as though Lois had been used as a pawn, rather than the more valuable bishop or knight that she really was. And then she'd had to go and ruin it by visiting him and asking for answers, which would seem unacceptably suspicious. I don't know, Lex wrote back. I have reason to believe that it will hurt him. Lois read the note and frowned at him. She tapped her pencil against the paper for a few moments. I'm not sure we should. Lex stifled a groan. He was losing Lois, that much was clear now. It was at least gratifying to know that she hadn't taken leave of her senses in coming to him. It was only a problem of a different sort. He could deal with a question of loyalties, at least in the near term. I figured out his identity. It wasn't difficult once I started looking at the people around you. He watched her face as she read that, then took the notebook from her again before she had a chance to respond. You're starting to feel sympathy towards him. You think that you understand where he's coming from. Lois shrugged, then nodded. He's not perfect, but I think that I know where he's coming from now. We've been talking a lot lately. He murdered a man in cold blood. Lois was already shaking her head. He regrets it. What else will he come to regret? We're talking about the fate of the world. You know that there's no stopping him if he goes rogue. Even if the chance is slim, it's a chance weighed against the total destruction of humanity. If the odds are a thousand to one that he'd kill us all, that's an average of two million dead. My own estimates are higher, but you know him better than I do. Lois frowned. Will it depower him or kill him? I don't know. He was halfway certain that she was testing him. He would have pivoted and claimed that he knew what the effect was, but he'd already said that he didn't know and couldn't take the chance of getting caught in a lie. There is some element of risk here, but I think it's low. 
The mineral in the watch emits a radiation that I suspect will cause some interference with his power. I need you to observe him carefully when you put the watch on him. Lex had done his own probability estimates based on what he knew of Kryptonian engineering from taking apart the ship. He strongly believed that Superman's powers were of technological rather than biological origin, simply given their raw power. And if kryptonite had any negative effects at all, the engineering of the ship suggested to him that it would have been designed to fail safely. Telling Lois that he'd weighed the odds of a catastrophe and found them acceptable would probably not endear her to the plan, though. Lois slowly read what he'd written. She considered for a moment and wrote back. You would be exposing yourself. Clark would know that someone was aware of his secret identity, someone besides me, if he believed I was an innocent victim of your machinations. A risk I'm willing to take. Superman almost certainly already knew. That ship had sailed after the Smallville operation, but there wasn't a convincing lie that he could tell Lois to explain to her how he had come to that information. If she were trustworthy, this whole conversation would have gone a lot smoother. Lois absentmindedly bit the end of the pencil and paced around the room. Lex didn't know how she weighed the arguments, but if she refused him, everything got much more complicated. You still don't actually trust him. You would have told him about our arrangement if you did. He handed the pad of paper to her, and she stared at it mutely. Some time passed, but eventually she nodded. Clark wasn't at his desk when Lois came into the office. She put the necklace and the watch into the lead-lined drawer of her desk and tried to get some work done. She'd been put in an awkward position by Lex. Simply talking to Clark about how she felt had done wonders and melted away a good deal of her stress. He was still in love with her, and that would have to be dealt with at some point in the future, but she'd confessed her fears and frustrations, and he had been understanding. They had their disagreements, deep disagreements that weren't going to go away anytime soon, but they were at least talking to each other like reasonable adults. Clark came in, hung his coat up on a hook on the wall, and took a seat at his desk. He smiled pleasantly at her. I got you a gift. Lois's voice nearly caught. Not that much of one, really, since it was free, but I thought you might appreciate it. She opened the desk drawer and heard noise from Clark's desk. He was standing far away from her with a serious expression on his face. She hadn't even seen him move. There's a small box in my briefcase. Clark's voice was calm. I want you to take it out and put both the watch and the necklace in it. Clark! Something had gone horribly wrong. Now, please. Be careful. The box is heavy. Lois did as she was instructed. The box was a crude thing. It felt heavier than it should have been. She put both the pieces into it and closed it tight. When she did, Clark strode forward and picked the box up, then sat down in his chair. No one else around them seemed to have noticed any of this. It seems that we were less than perfectly honest with each other. Old habits, I guess. Clark. Lois folded her hands into her lap to keep them from shaking. Fuck. I don't know what to say. Language. I'm not angry. Just disappointed. We'll have to talk about this later. Clark drummed his fingers on top of the box. Just for my own personal confirmation before I confront him. Who gave you these? There was no way to deny it. Clark already knew. Lex Luthor. 
Her mouth felt dry. Clark stood up from his chair and tucked the box under one arm as though it were weightless. Well, I'm off to have a talk with him. He began to leave as though nothing at all were wrong. Clark. He stopped and turned toward her. I'm sorry. Well, that's a start. He gave her a heartbroken smile. Superman to see you, sir, said Mercy. Lex simply stared at her. Just once he would have liked to see some trace of emotion from her, but Mercy could announce that the world was ending and still seem like she was bored. Did he say what it was regarding? The fate of humanity, said Mercy without so much as a raised eyebrow or a polite cough to acknowledge the absurdity of it all. Ah, well, send him in. Lex looked toward the lead-lined drawer of his desk, where a pistol with specially prepared bullets lay waiting. Inside each lead bullet was a small sliver of kryptonite. It was a terrible plan, so far as they went, but at least it was there. Superman strode into the study, looking around as he went. He was graceful for someone so big. The bright colors of his costume clashed with the rich mahogany and leather upholstery of the room, but he didn't seem to notice or care. I don't believe we've had the pleasure of being introduced. I was an innocent bystander at a bank robbery that you stopped, though I'm sure you don't remember my face. I'm Lex Luthor. I suppose you already know that. He extended a hand, and when Superman shook it, he tried not to think about his fingers being mashed into pulp. Superman sat down in one of the chairs and offered Lex a pleasant smile. Well, I'm not sure quite where to begin. He looked around the room for a moment, perhaps contemplating the fact that he was surrounded by lead. Then he turned and pointed to bound proof on Lex's desk, a copy of the book he and Lois had put together about Superman. May I? Certainly. If there's anything you think needs changing, we'd be happy to... Superman waved him off, and opened the sheaf of papers to somewhere in the middle, finding what he wanted immediately. Ah, here we go. The currently accepted explanation for Superman's so-called X-ray vision has nothing to do with X-rays. Though one can be forgiven for thinking that they have something to do with that particular form of radiation, given that both are used to peer through otherwise solid objects, as well as the use of lead for shielding. The similarities end there. Superman looked up at Lex for a moment, then back down at the book. And so on, and so forth, and then here. This is what I wanted to point out. Superman's penetrative vision is thought by leading scientists to utilize some hitherto unknown aspect of particle physics. The hypothesized crypto-particles permeate the universe and can pass cleanly through every known element aside from lead. And then it goes on to talk about the differences between lead as it applies to x-rays and lead as it applies to crypto particles. Lex stared at Superman. He tried to keep calm and slow his heart rate down. Are you telling me that you can see through lead? No. However, let me offer up a hypothetical. Let's say that there's a mineral that was found in the core of a meteorite. Two separate research facilities were sent samples of the meteorite, not by me, but by a third party, and they could find no form of radiation using any of the instruments at their disposal. 
I know for a fact that it does emit radiation, because as you seem to have guessed, that radiation has an unsettling effect on me. As an additional piece of information, the radiation from this mineral is blocked by lead, but seemingly by nothing else. What do you suppose it would look like to my X-ray vision? Bright. Because if it emits anything, Occam's razor would dictate that it's cryptoparticles, rather than some distinct particle which shares many of the same properties. And if they're the same, it's a matter of degree. The mineral emits far, far more than you used to see by. He should have seen that possibility far, far sooner. The only question remaining was how many layers of deception it would allow Superman to peel back. It's as bright as a blazing sun. Difficult to look at directly when I'm using my x-ray vision. He shrugged. I probably would have been able to piece it together all the same. A man walked by me with a piece of glowing green rock in his breast pocket, and I felt myself grow weaker. It got worse the closer he got. I have extensive practice at faking reactions, or faking a lack of reaction. And just when I was beginning to feel mortal, I worried that I was going to be killed in some ignoble way. He kept on moving by, so I held myself in check, and as soon as I got to a safe place, I looked through the walls and watched him. I saw a piece of rock that was so bright, it nearly blinded me. Lex kept very still. The research facilities he'd sent the kryptonite to hadn't had lead shielding, and he hadn't thought that they would need it. The story he'd given for the appearance of kryptonite had been solid, and the forged paperwork had been airtight. Experimentation and synthesis of an unknown mineral shouldn't have been suspicious. Except that Superman would only have had to go to space and look down at the planet. If they shone as brightly as he claimed they did, they'd stick out like a sore thumb. So, I stole a piece of the PU-356 from one of the labs. I won't bore you with the details, but it would suffice to say that I can see through walls and move as fast as I want to, which makes me an excellent thief. I confirmed that it could hurt me, and after that it was just a matter of being careful until I could confirm your involvement to my satisfaction. I'm not in any real danger from the PU-356, though it is inconvenient. I can see it clearly from miles away without having to try all that hard and my superior speed means that a bullet made of it could never hit me. <sighs> of course, we can drop the pretense of there ever being a meteorite. That would be too big of a coincidence to swallow if a meteorite capable of harming me was found and put into mass synthesis just a short while after my spaceship was stolen from me. Lex's mouth felt dry. I was blackmailed. I was told that unless I tried, Superman waved his hand. I don't believe you, he said with a half-smile. You made a good-faith attempt to kill me, and you used Lois to do it. The military... There were a few reasons that I came here, things we need to discuss. First, I want you to admit to what you have done. All of it. Lex's face fell. I don't know what it is you think you know, or how you think you know it. I did arrange for Lois to deliver a piece of the mineral to you, and it was an attempt to see whether you could be disrupted in some way. But I don't know anything about a spaceship. So far as I'm aware, it burned up on re-entry. I felt it prudent to have a method of dealing with you in case the worst were to happen, and I can only hope that... Towards the end of his life, William Calhoun talked a lot. 
He sat in a jail cell, and if prayer is an expression of love, then he did whatever the opposite of praying is. Some of what he said was nonsense, credit taken for crimes that he didn't commit, but I could usually tell by how he spoke. He wasn't the guiding hand behind Harry Kramer's bombing campaigns. If he had been, he would have brought it up more often, instead of just in those moments that he really wanted to twist the knife as hard as possible. You think that I could possibly be behind that act of terrorism? It wasn't terrorism. It was a series of attempts on my life. Terror was only a byproduct. Given that I know you tried earlier today, it's not unreasonable to think that you had tried before. He held up a hand to forestall any objections. I'm less certain about that one, and obviously I have no hard proof. Certainly nothing that would hold up in a court of law. Still, it became clear fairly early on that I was looking for someone who was intelligent and possessed an enormous amount of resources. That you have lead-lined rooms in both your home and office, speak in languages other than English for no good reason, and have a penchant for codes. Well, that helped to paint a picture. I want a confession from you, one that covers everything you're guilty of. And then you'll kill me. No, I'm willing to accept your unconditional surrender. Ah, and what does that entail? Part of an unconditional surrender is that you don't get to ask that question. I beat you. It's over. You have exactly one thing that can give me the slightest injury, and I can see it coming from a mile away. I'm fairly certain I know how you think now. It's been a learning experience, watching all of the machinations of an enemy with nearly infinite resources and a steadfast refusal to be identified. Fine. It was time to change tactics and concede some ground in the hopes of arranging a more advantageous battlefield. I confess, it was I who figured out your inability to see through lead and allowed that fact to be known around the world. I arranged for the bombs to be made and placed, knowing that innocent people would die. I figured out your identity as Clark Kent and inserted agents into Smallville. Your mother's death was unintentional. I stole your spaceship. I found a small chink in your armor and tried my best to use it against you. I believe that's an accurate list of my crimes. Almost all the layers of deception had slid off now, with only a few secrets still held back in reserve, more out of a faint sense of hope than any coherent strategy. Lex felt naked. Why? He showed no shock or surprise. You are too dangerous to be allowed to live. You cannot be stopped after the fact, which means you must be stopped prior to it. Do you know why I killed Calhoun? According to Miss Lane, you were angry with him. He tried not to be bothered by the seeming non-sequitur. Superman was at an advantage in not only strength and speed, but information as well. Lois had said he had the ability to think for long moments in the space between blinks, and perhaps that accounted for the disjointed conversation. Or maybe Superman had just prepared a script for himself to follow, and was sticking to the points he wanted to hit before he brought Lex to a messy end. You're close. I was angry with him, but anger alone wasn't enough. Instead it was a chain of thought, with each step colored in anger. I convinced myself that it was the correct thing to do, and that wouldn't have been possible without the anger. I decided to kill Calhoun, 
and then I worked backwards to figure out all the ways that I could make that into the single best choice. He paused and stared Lex in the eyes. I've been looking over what I actually believe lately, and trying to figure out why I believe it. And do you know, I think more than anger, my thinking has been tainted by fear, as has your own. Fear is a natural response to the chance of obliteration. It's what saved our ancestors, my ancestors anyway, from death. When a new predator arrives in the woods, the appropriate reaction is to run away or fight. There was no way to run away from you. So yes, I was and am afraid of you, but that fear had a grounding in reality. I would have acted the same even if I didn't feel an instinctive terror at your presence on this planet. I was good. I was a paragon of virtue. I never hurt anyone. I never acted in a way that was contrary to humanity. I never interfered with politics or warfare. You feared me all the same, and made it your mission to kill me. You got this idea in your head that I was a threat. You were. And you never stopped to reconsider whether that continued to be true as time went on. I'm not a bad person. I can understand if you had misgivings when I showed up. But as the months passed, you never changed your mind, did you? Maybe you just didn't want to admit that you killed all those people for nothing. You couldn't admit you were wrong about me, because then you would be forced to think of yourself as evil. Lex, I'm not going to destroy this planet or anyone on it. That's more true now than ever. Lex was silent. The issue wasn't whether Superman was planning to destroy the planet, it was that he was capable of it at all. Knowing what I know now, I would have done things differently. But up until an hour ago, I thought it would be for the best if you were dealt with, and you haven't said anything to change my mind. Regardless, you have managed to convince me that it's not going to be possible to accomplish that goal, so if you want my unconditional surrender, you have it. Good. I said earlier that I had been ruled by my own fears. They weren't fears of death or injury, for the most part. They were fears of failing in other ways. I acted like I thought a hero should act, and tried to be a symbol for people. I read your proposals as they came out, and the proposals of others. Some of the ideas I had already thought of myself, while others were novel, but I had convinced myself that part of being a shining symbol of hope, truth, and justice was being static. Part of it was my father, I'm sure. He had his very particular views about the world, and I was following his example. It felt like I would have been turning my back on him if I'd decided that I wanted to do things differently. And even when the evidence began to grow that I'd been wrong, or at least not completely right, I refused to change. I was afraid I would do something bad by trying to do something good. I was worried that I would ruin our society, or mar human history. I thought I would end up leading us down the same path Krypton had traveled, letting too much happen too soon. It was logic, tainted with the fear of failure. I had decided that I was going to keep the world as it was, so that my responsibilities would stay small. Then, I rationalized my way towards that conclusion. You're speaking in the past tense. How much of what you've said over the past year was true? How much do you want to make the world a better place? I meant all of it. 
I could have done much less than I did if I only wanted the appearance of philanthropy. I want to make the world a better place. That's what your surrender means. You're going to help me do the most good. End first half of chapter 13. Thank you to the following people. Kate Baker, reading Mercy Graves. Superman and Clark Kent, by Nathan Bowman. Lois Lane, by Anonymous. Jewelry Clerk, by The Archive. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the conclusion of The Metropolitan Man. <laughs>